Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We've got a great inspiration with us today for Spirit in Action with a threat of internal turmoil or even civil war possible in the U.S. due to red-blue polarization, especially since 2016. The Braver Angels Project, an organization, was founded. Their mission? We bring Americans together to bridge the partisan divide and strengthen our democratic republic. It's a tall order in these tense times, but Braver Angels is bringing great energy, dedication, and tools to the work. Today, we are joined by Braver Angels coordinators for Wisconsin. Cameron Swallow is a North Carolinian transplant to Wisconsin, a blue-leaning person with experience living and teaching in a very red area of Tennessee. Susan Vergerant is credentialed red, including 10 years in Wisconsin's Legislative Assembly as a Republican. We'll have an overview today of the work and world of Braver Angels, and we'll drill down to some of the aspects and programs of the organization in future shows. Their work is wonderful and inspirational. Cameron Swallow and Susan Vergerant join us today via Zoom. Cameron, it's so wonderful to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Thanks for inviting me, Mark. And I'm equally enthused, excited, and just delighted to have you here, Susan. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And where are the two of you sitting right now? Cameron, you're right near Kenosha? Correct. I'm looking out at Lake Michigan as we speak. And Susan, how far are you from the capital of Wisconsin? Oh, I'd say about a 12-minute drive. I'm live in Wanakee, which is a suburb that is it's on the north side of Lake Mendota. You worked there at one point, at least, for an extended period. How long was that? What was your experience? Well, actually, I worked there two separate experiences. When I graduated from college in political science, I got a job doing legislative research for the Legislative Council, which is a nonpartisan research arm of the legislature. That put my husband through law school. I was there for two and a half years. Some years later, in 1984, I ran for the State Assembly, and I served there until 1994. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. There's so many ways that people serve our country, and we don't give them full recognition. Military certainly is one. I served in the Peace Corps in West Africa. Cameron, you are serving in part by supporting Carthage College from the side. That's true. My husband became president of Carthage College in 2017. Before that, I was a middle school classroom teacher for 18 years. So that's my claim to public service. It's wonderful service, both of you. And both of you are serving as Wisconsin coordinators for Better Angels. I learned about Better Angels starting about a week ago, and I became so wildly enthused. And so I really am quite excited to have you here. I've watched a number of videos, read stuff on the website, and I have a sense that this is a really special thing for our country. It's an opportunity for our country. Would one or the other of you, Susan or Cameron, care to explain your view on what Better Angels is? Well, first, Mark, I'm very interested in how you're a new convert to Braver Angels, but you're still using the old name of Better Angels. 
<laughs> That's just because I'm 67 years old and brain cells are not working right. Yes, braver angels. Abraham Lincoln said better angels, braver angels is what our day calls for. And it definitely does. My association with braver angels started when it was called better angels, quoting President Lincoln directly. It was in the spring of 2018 I'd been seeing Facebook notes from friends of friends about Braver Angels. It appealed to me because I am experiencing the cultural divide. I was in my classroom, in my school, and in my family. I was living in Tennessee at that time, teaching in a very red district. I was a blue teacher with mostly red students and mostly red colleagues navigating that passage in 2016 and 17 had been difficult. And Braver Angels seemed to offer some hope and some encouragement for how our country could step back from the brink of this polarization and the the cliff it seemed to be leading off of. So I got involved in 2018, became a moderator, became the state coordinator in 2019, started doing more state level work and met Susan. And she agreed to be my co-coordinator so that we could fulfill the Brave Angels principle of balance, having red and blue leadership at every level of the hierarchy. Here we are in 2022. And Susan, what's your take on what the organization is about? You accepted to be yoked with a blue and a cross red. And I mean, was this exciting to you? Well, I think what appealed to me initially was I've always been a student of reconciliation. It goes with the pastor business. And not only that, but I think that's what God calls us to do. I went to the Lombard Peace Institute and took some courses there, too, on reconciliation. I think the backbone of Braver Angels is their educational programs. It's been shown that bringing people together in a learning situation and learn how to hear and listen and understand takes the teeth out of oppositional behavior. Once you get to know a person as a person and really listen to what they have to say, you're not as likely to be I'm right and you're wrong. And especially in braver angel situations where we're training people how to do this, um, we encourage looking for areas of agreement. It leaves, you know, I'm red, you're blue situation to a point where, hmm, we're not all that different. I mean, we have similar goals. I think, in fact, the uh, workshops encourage in the training for listening and speaking to seek common ground anywhere you can. <laughs> and even if it's, you know, well, we both agree that we want the best for our country or we both agree that raising children good education is important. So you can get that one, and it changes the way you feel about the person when you find one particular thing in agreement. So that's what drew me to Braver Angels. Actually, it's Better Angels when I hopped on, and now it's Braver. And I like to say that after January 6th, which is about when the name change happened, we needed to be braver. Mm, I agree completely. There's so many things I want to know about Braver Angels. Both of you are located in Wisconsin now. Cameron, you moved here from the southeast, from Tennessee and from North Carolina, I think is home. The name Braver Angels and previously Better Angels from Lincoln's statement, what is the overall purpose of the organization? The purpose is 
to depolarize the national conversation. There are several sort of soundbite ways to say it. Um, My favorite right now is we're not trying to change anyone's minds about issues as much as we're trying to change our minds about each other. That works for you too, Susan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said, Cameron. I think the key to all that is education, just bringing people together and helping them understand how to listen and all that. Why is that more difficult now? You served in the legislature, Susan. Certainly there was opposition, different goals, different ways of pursuing your goals. Mm -hmm. Why is it so much more difficult now than it used to be? Somewhere along the line, and I think my party had a lot to blame for that. I still call myself a Republican, but not that kind of Republican, not the current kind of Republican. We really had the culture and the tradition of trying to not be oppositional. In other words, not vote against something because they brought it up. At least that was my impression. I served in the minority all 10 years I was there. So my method of getting things done was to work with Democrats. That was the only way the minority can get anything done. And if the Democrats won't work with you, you know, you might as well not be there. That was my experience back then. But I did find some that would because we had common interests either through being in the Milwaukee area. I represented the northern suburbs of Milwaukee. So you just keep working at it and finding common interests. And so I guess in a way, I was a better angel back then. And a lot of it had to do with my um, kind of my call to ministry because I was feeling very called by God to know more about it. And like I said, I wasn't raised with a firm Christology. And I got that somewhere along the line in the legislature. So that had a lot to do with it. You served on the Board of Education as well as in legislature. So you served in a lot of ways. Is it your experience that Wisconsin has grown significantly more polarized? I mean, there's the national situation, of course, which we observe. Wisconsin, likewise, equally? Yes. I kind of look back. Now, I left the legislature in 1994, the end of 93. And not long after that, there was what they called the caucus scandal. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but where staff workers were helping legislators in their campaigns. And that was a huge no-no to do on paid time, but there was nothing said about when they're off time. Like my staff came up to my district and helped me on a Saturday and Sunday, which was really lovely. And they did it because they wanted me to be reelected, you know. It wasn't just a power thing. We had a good team going and they were enthusiastic. But some people abused that. And all the time, the uh, press knew a lot of this was going on. And all of a sudden, there was this huge scandal that this was happening. And I, I said, why now and why so big? One of the questions I had about you, Susan, is when you made this transition, I mean, you worked with the Board of Education, worked in legislature When did you actually become a Presbyterian pastor? When did you go through divinity school, etc.? I went through divinity school while I was in the legislature, and they started calling me the conscience of the caucus. I, I, you know, things got a little haywire. I would throw in some sarcastic remark to get them back off of the direction they were going in. So I left the legislature in 94, and I was ordained in 96. I graduated from seminary in 95, May of 90. So how long did you work as a pastor? Altogether, 20 years. 
very important piece of service too. I, wow, so all over the place. Oh, I loved it. I don't know how I missed that for so long, but I enjoyed being a legislator. I enjoyed getting into issue and policy work, but to bring the hope and love of God to other people has to be the best job in the world. I'm thinking that perhaps being a pastor is excellent training ground for the work of Braver Angels, because you have people, different points of view, very sometimes very strong, and you're standing in front of them, and people take shots at people who have introduced them to their discomfort, shall we say. So you have to learn those talents. Did you find that your experience, or maybe Divinity School already taught you that, or legislature did? Well, the legislature certainly did help me understand that. You know, there are people that are not going to think the way you do. And I was always very careful to listen to what they had to say. In fact, you know, people call and yell at me and very disappointed. How could you be so stupid kind of calls? And I would listen to them and I would listen to where they were and explain my point of view. And I said, look, I represent you as much as anybody in the district. And I'm glad you called and I understand where you're coming from. That's all people needed to hear, really was. By the end of the conversation, they weren't mad anymore. <laughs> it's amazing what listening can do. And Cameron, where did you get your skills? I think that we're going to go into some of the detail of what Braver Angels does, but where did you get your skills of being able to listen, to be present with different sides? I don't think grade school is where you learn that because the kids are pretty much on your side. Maybe when their parents come in for teacher conferences. <laughs> where did you learn your skills? I think the classroom is a good sort of laboratory for observing all kinds of human behavior. And a teacher does end up being in a mediator position with student disputes. And then, of course, any organization with staff differences and difficulties. And even before I was in a professional job, you know, growing up as a student, college student myself, I've always found myself in a kind of mediator position in friend groups and social groups everywhere. It's not really a matter of training. It's a matter of natural tendency. Okay. And is your family, are you, it, it, birth order makes a difference. Some people are mediators, some are trailblazers. Where are you and your family? I'm the eldest. Okay. So the wisest also, of course. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Actually, that's a word I tell people in Braver Angels workshops that they should really excise from their vocabulary. So I only use it with a little sarcastic twinkle in my eye. I would only use that word if I was being less than serious. I want to talk about the skills, the education that you do as part of Braver Angels. But because of my personality, what I want to know is, is there room for humor in Braver Angels? The problem is, particularly uh, on those who are very strongly tied to their views, joking about them is not acceptable. One of my favorite jokes, I, I consider myself a, a feminist and very strong advocacy for equality between males and females. One of my favorite jokes is uh, how many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? This was in a book. You turn the page after that question is asked, and there's a woman standing with her arms crossed saying, I don't think that's funny. And sometimes people who are, are very dedicated, very well-motivated, lose their sense of humor. So what I want to know is, in Braver Angels, is there room for those of us who have abundant, shall we say, sense of humor? 
Well, an interesting link to a conversation I've been having over the past couple of months with a college friend of mine. And she is also from a divided family that's caused her a lot of personal pain in her heart. And she gravitated to Braver Angels to feel like she could do something about those divisions that are both large and small, both countrywide and family-centered. The more she learned about Braver Angels, the more she liked and she uh, tuned into lots of national programming, more than I have even. But what she has diagnosed is a need for more humor. Not that people are deadly serious all the time, just that they're focused on the mission so clearly that humor around the edges can get lost or not. She is, that's something that she's asking about deliberately right now. So very timely question, Mark. What's your perspective on it, Susan? Can you tell me a joke? Oh, let's see. I could, but you know, I don't know if you want to hear a joke right now. <laughs> Humor is a lubricant of a lot of social interchange. I mean, you get deadly serious and it's nobody's having fun and you know, you're more focused on your point of view and then the other point of view. And you drop a joke in there and you both laugh and suddenly some of that has been ameliorated. So, yeah, definitely. And in all situations, of course, not all situations call for humor, speaking from a pastor's point of view. But, you know, many situations where there's tension. If you can think, I've got tons of pastor jokes, but I won't bore you <laughs> One of my favorite is this wife is telling her husband, you have to get out of bed. It's time to go to church. Oh, I don't want to go to church. We can go next week. Honey, you have to go to church because what kind of example are we sending for the kids? No, that's okay. We can skip one Sunday. Honey, get out of bed. You're the pastor and they're waiting for you. <laughs> yes. Well, here's a good, simple, quick one, and it's appropriate to the Christmas season, which we've just passed. Did you hear about the dyslexic? Double worshiper who screwed up and sold his soul to Santa. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Just got it. <laughs> A little slow on the update. <laughs> it's okay. I'll keep that one. <laughs> and so, one of the suggestions I have I know that Braver Angels has constantly looked for ways to speak to people, to get people talking, to build this communication. And one of them is through the music system that you do. You're sharing music to bring people together. I think, Cameron, you're involved in the national organization about this, the committee, or I'm not sure exactly how it's structured for Braver Angels. I am, Mark, and I'm glad you brought that up because the music example is what I've been telling my college friend that that's, this is a path that you could hold up as an example to try to follow with some humor and more lighthearted Braver Angels activities imagined for the future. Because at the beginning, there wasn't any music or art in Braver Angels. It was just workshops, delivery, let's work on conversation and depolarization through talking to each other. And my friend Sage Snyder had the idea that we could have a songwriting contest and advertise it nationwide and solicit Braver Angels songs from songwriters all across the country and engage the hearts as well as the minds of people in the work of depolarization. 
Of course, many people come with their hearts engaged already, but if the materials and the workshops and the structured time that is spent only engages the mind, then people do not leave the experience as full and as charged and as engaged as they might be if their hearts were spoken to deliberately as a structural part of the workshop as well. So after that initial songwriting contest, which Sage envisioned and put together and worked to enact mostly single-handedly, gathering a committee around her as she went, we now have a collection of Braver Angels songs that can be worked into the workshops and that are embedded now in the slide decks for the Zoom workshops so that they are naturally part of a Braver Angels workshop experience. The reaction to including music has been overwhelmingly positive. I'm wondering if there's an opportunity, and maybe this is what you were suggesting, Cameron, maybe there's an opportunity for a similar kind of thing with respect to comedy or humor, that you could have the national, it would be purple jokes, I don't know, as opposed to red or blue. I would really appreciate it if you, Susan, could tell me a little bit about the education venues that you use. I understand there's debates. I understand there's education, specific teaching, workshops. And this happens both in person and virtually using things like Zoom. So could you talk about really what the structure is there in Braver Angels? Sure. I think the key key tools to Braver Angels start with people understanding or in a sense maybe you've all learned this before but reacquainting themselves with the techniques of listening and speaking in a way that is going to bring people together rather than pull them apart we have five workshops that do this one is called bridging the divide and that one is pure education into how to listen how to speak and what you do if things get out of control <laughs> i think those are the three parts of course I think kind of start out with the fact that the polarization is much more front and center as a problem in this country than it was maybe four years ago. I mean, it was extreme polarization, but people didn't see it as a big problem. Now it's kind of a scary problem, I think, actually endangering our democracy. But this Bridging the Divide workshop teaches the basics of how to have a good, productive conversation with someone. There's another workshop called Depolarizing Yourself. In the Bridge and the Divide, there are reds and blues divided, and they have their own groups and, and stuff. So they're working to understand the other side. Uh, depolarizing yourself is focused on your own tendencies to I'm right, you're wrong, whatever that may be. But it's it's a, a good workshop for when you don't want to have reds and blues. You know, it just focuses on yourself. There's something called a red-blue workshop which is a lot more intense, teaches the skills and then has several ways of getting people to understand how that looks in practice. There's a workshop called Family and Politics. It's been much needed this past year. I know very few families that don't have some problems with people that refuse to, you know, they think this is fine. And basically it's over getting together with unvaccinated people. I have two of my three children that don't believe vaccination is necessary. So this is working with family and politics. And then there's one-on-one -on -one conversations. 
and there are several versions of that, but the one I find fascinating is one-on-one conversations about race, where a Caucasian and a non-Caucasian talk about their differences and how they see each other. Um, It's guided. This is a guided conversation. But those are the kinds of things that start changing the way, not their views, but the way they look at the other side, the way they're looking for common ground. And then there are the Braver Angel debates, which are wonderful and definitely a learning experience for everybody who watches or participates. Other learning opportunities come from alliances. That's where we form a local, like uh, Kenosha or Wanakee would have an alliance that would engage local people in hosting workshops, having a, a book clubs, issue discussion, that kind of thing. And that just strengthens the community involvement and the one-on-one conversations. Like I said before, studies have shown that these are effective tools in changing the way people look at things. They don't change their minds, but they change the way they look at things. I'm going to get more of the detail about that very shortly. But first, I want to remind our listeners, you are tuned in to Spirit in Action. NordenSpiritRadio.org is our website where we've got all of our guests, links to them, like links to BraverAngels.org. On our website, there's a place for you to post comments. We love two-way communication, and I think that's why Braver Angels appeals to me so deeply, because being deep in the communication is part of what can make this world closer, better, more loving. So on our website, NordenSpiritRadio.org, we've got all kinds of resources for you, people doing world healing work. There's a place where you can support us. Just click on support. Beneath it, there's Donate. Even more important, make sure that the forms of media are out there to support community well-being. Our programs are normally carried across this nation on community radio stations, speaking from the local needs. And it's so invaluable that you do please uh, support them, both with your hands and with your wallet. Right now, we really want to focus on the Braver Angels, and we've got two Braver Angels here with us. You just heard us speaking with Susan Vergerant, and Cameron Swallow is also here, and together they are the state coordinators for Wisconsin for Better Angels in each state. Well, almost all states have such coordinators, and some states have multiple numbers, six or eight or something. In Wisconsin, there are only two, and they're paired red and blue in terms of their outlooks. So, Cameron, I wanted to ask you for a little bit of detail about these workshops. Number one, how long are they? Does this demand a week-long, a month-long commitment? Are they in line, online, in-person how does this work? And are the workshops always evenly matched with no equal numbers of red and blue? Ooh, that's a lot of questions at once, Mark. I will try to keep them straight. You remind me if I didn't hit them all. Yes, to all the things that you asked. There are some that require people to say their color alignment when they come in the door because they need to be in talking partner pairs with someone of the same color. The signature all-day red-blue workshop that began Braver Angels is very carefully paired um, with exactly the same number of reds and blues participating. But then some of the later and half-day training workshops don't ask for color alignment at all. There are some that can be geared to be an all-blue gathering or an all-red gathering. 
And there are some that just assume that we're speaking to people of mixed color, no color, purple color, every shade of the rainbow, and that the lessons of depolarization are going to be applied internally with equal measure. So all of the above to the kinds of workshops that you're asking about. Time duration is a recurring topic in my personal world. People call and ask for workshops and they want it to fit into a one hour lunch meeting. And there is no workshop that fits into a one hour lunch meeting. We have presentations that, you know, Susan and I have gone to Rotary Clubs and League of Women Voters and luncheons in different places, different towns, and done a sort of promotion advertisement. Here's what you could offer, but you can't offer any of our workshops or debates or anything on the list in the space of an hour. Most of the workshops are two to three hours long. In fact, most of them ask you to reserve a three-hour block for the training workshops. And do you both have to go through all of these workshops as participants before you become a moderator, become a state coordinator? How does this work that you get to the point where you're able to lead workshops? This could be, from my point of view, a course of study for a master's. Well, the moderator training is online, and it is based on the all-day red-blue workshop. But the techniques that it covers, that it, you know, pauses and analyzes when you're looking at live coverage from a Braver Angels workshop, those skills transfer to the other workshops. And so it's just a matter of, you know, for me as a classroom teacher of looking at a different lesson for a different day, but the principles are the same. There are new workshops coming out at regular intervals and I have not experienced or led every one of them yet. There are some that are too new for me to have given or even participated in, but that keeps the work exciting. Susan, you mentioned one of the workshops. The second one you mentioned was depolarizing yourself, and you said a few words about it. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Can you say concretely for yourself if you got depolarized a bit? Because... It's one thing to talk about doing it for someone else. You should get depolarized. Depolarizing yourself seems very intimate and vulnerable. You know, it really has helped me immensely because I still have a hard time understanding the point of view from the far red side. And so I needed, I knew a lot of those things before I trained to be a moderator and went through the whole program. But I needed to be reminded because both as in my congregation where I'm, I'm still active, I'm, I'm not a paid pastor, but I'm a volunteer Stephen minister and lead some Bible studies. You know, you still have to deal with these people, my own children. I have to find a way to not be angry with them because I think they're so far off. And, I, you know, they may not be according to some other people's opinions. And that's what I have to keep reminding myself of. Uh, that the point is to understand where they're coming from. And that really helps take some of the heat out of it. Yeah, I needed it as much as anybody, I think. Because, like I said, because of the anger, where do you go with that anger? Of course, you take it to God, (laughs) which is right. And I'm sure God had something to do with my finally deciding that I just have to accept my boys where they are. And that I'm not going to change your mind. Can't do anything but pray and set a good example. 
And Cameron, did you have an experience of depolarizing yourself? Well, my favorite workshop in the pantheon of Braver Angels workshops is that depolarizing within workshop. I like the arc of it. I like how it works on you looking inward to your own heart at first and then looking to your group, your silo, the people who are supposed to be on your side in those very blunt instrument two-bucket system of our two-party system in the United States, right? So the people who, who landed in your bucket for the last election, there is a huge variety of people there. And how to work within that group in a productive way of bringing the temperature down there so that you can remember and remind others that the large majority of people on the outside of your silo are actually people and not monsters. That task seems to me the most urgent of the Braver Angels list because we can't move toward that skills for bridging the divide workshop until we believe that it's worth bridging the divide, until we believe within our own silo that it's worth talking to the people outside it. So I do love the depolarizing within workshop. I think there must be a hierarchy of values that influence whether one is at all interested in being part of Braver Angels type work. A phrase that came to me, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I was realizing that, and I would attribute this specifically to the far red, the supporters of Donald Trump in particular, and there's a lot of them, that one of the values that Donald Trump seemed to champion was, it's not how you play the game, it's whether you win or lose, which is the reverse of what I was raised with, that the integrity of how you play was most important. And there can be a good case made for, no, what's really important is whether you succeed or not. And that's the other point of view. That seems to be one of the highest in the hierarchy of values that someone who believed it's only important whether you win or lose probably wouldn't want to be part of a Braver Angels discussion. Am I oversimplifying that? Is that too blunt of an instrument I'm talking about? What do you think, Susan? Not at all. That explains exactly why it's so much harder to recruit reds in their groups than it is blues, because they're quite sure they're right where they are, and they don't need to depolarize or anything else, because they're right. And I think that is the key to why reds are not, I mean, we do have reds, don't get me wrong. And there are plenty of reds that think like me, that, you know, I'm a Liz Cheney kind of red, but for the most part, yeah. Do you have people who are, let's say, anti-vaxxers, and again, I know that that's, there's a pejorative included in that term, right? People who would be self-identified as anti-vaxxers or Trump supporters. Do these people also support, participate in Wisconsin in the workshops you're leading? I'm, I'm hoping for it because I think that's the way forward to keeping a common union. I've never seen one in a workshop. Have you, Cameron? Well, that's the thing, right? Susan, you can't tell by looking. Oh, but you just need a few of those comments and you you know. Well, Braver Angels does involve a certain degree of self-selection, right? If you're going to go to something that's a depolarization workshop, then the extreme voices on either side are not going to sign themselves up for a three-hour workshop 
whose point is depolarization. I mean, unless they've been lassoed by a family member doing an intervention or something. And maybe that happens, but it doesn't happen often. The self-selection of the word depolarization really has kept the extreme voices out of the conversation. I think that there are other more benign reasons for fewer Reds participating in Braver Angels workshops. One of them is that, you know, the idea of sitting around and talking to solve a problem and not being action oriented to do something that skews blue, right? It's a blue idea and a blue skill to sit in a circle and talk about things until you reach a decision. I know, by the way, Susan, that you have to go because you've got a meeting coming up right now. I'm sorry I can't keep you for longer. It's been wonderful having you here. I am so intrigued, both your pastorship, your peace studies, your time education. There's so many ways that you've been of great service, and including being with us here today for Spirit in Action. Thank you. You're very welcome. So we'll continue with you, Cameron. I do regret not having Susan here, but I actually trust your deep sense. What you just said about the talking about working things out It strikes me that you're right. That does skew blue, that tendency. The skills that you teach as part of these workshops, where do they come from? When Braver Angels was born, (laughs) it was born from an impulsive telephone call after the 2016 election from a blue named David to a red named David. They were already friends. And the blue David said to the red David, What has just happened? Can we get 10 Trump voters and 10 Clinton voters in a room to talk about it? And Red David said, yes, here I am in rural Ohio. I will gather people. Come up. Let's put this together. They got the people and the idea and the mission before they got the curriculum. How are we going to script these people? How are we going to structure a conversation that could become explosive with these 10 voters from both sides? They called their mutual friend, Bill Doherty, who is a family therapist in Minneapolis. Bill said, yes, oh, thank you for this commission. And he right quick and in a hurry wrote a workshop for these 20 people who were coming together for a workshop in Ohio. They spent the weekend together. They discovered they had captured lightning in a bottle. And if they could do it again, then they wanted to take that message nationwide. And they had a recipe that they could really work against the dangerous polarization in our country. So the skills of family therapy are involved in this, right? Absolutely. From the very beginning. I note, by the way, that there's three men who are at the foundation of this. And yet I somehow suspect, I don't know if I'm right, I have no idea, I haven't counted names or genders, that there would likely be more women doing this work with Baver Angels, the state coordinators. I assume you are connected with some kind of a network of them. Is there any tendency I feel as if the field team meetings are relatively balanced in terms of gender. That has not struck me as, you know, it's certainly not as unbalanced as your average public school. You mean like a grade school where so many of the teachers are female versus male? Right. And even middle and high school, vast majority of teachers are female. 
it doesn't feel like that on the field team Zoom calls with Raver Angels. So they must be working for not only red-blue balance, but also male-female balance. And the fact that Susan and I are both female in Wisconsin, that is not the case in the majority of states. Partly, I was suspecting this might be the case because the couple debates, which I've watched, and I'd like to talk a little bit about them as we go on, the debates on abortion and debate on sex workers were all female in both cases. Now, I don't think that's all of the debates are, are that way, but I somehow suspect that given the way our culture approaches women, listening and cooperating is more built into the women's way of being than it is to the men. Men, competition, fight, you know, you might play fair, but you're going to win. I think there's a different cultural base to it. So that's why I expected that it might be the case. But I'm happy to hear if I'm wrong. The founder of the debate program, April Lawson, is female. And I don't know if that has encouraged more female debate leaders. I, I don't meet with that group on any regular basis and don't have a sense of that. But, you know, the two topics that you mentioned, Braver Angels might get criticism if they had men moderating a debate about abortion or about sex work. Yeah, well, they did comment in the abortion debate specifically that this was unusual, all women, so... I just expected that. I also wondered about how many people end up getting motivated, supported, encouraged by their religious or possibly spiritual identity. Is there a larger share of that? The society as a whole is moving away from religious identification. Spiritual not affiliated is uh, an increasing share of the population. And yet somehow the idea of building unity and working together seems, from my point of view, a very deep religious and spiritual motivation. Is there any tendency that you can see nationalized to say whether there's a higher percentage of people motivated by that than in the general population? I don't know those metrics, I have not seen that they're even collecting a metric about religious motivation in Braver Angels. They're very careful, you know, in, in a sort of separation of church and state way, not to have anything in the workshops themselves that focuses or elevates any one understanding of religion. So on the national scale, I can tell you absolutely nothing about your question. But locally, I am interested in Wisconsin in hosting events at churches that themselves have mixed congregations and are experiencing some disturbance of the culture wars in their own congregation. So that's beginning to bear some fruit. I get discouraged when I approach a red-friendly church and get told, no, we don't do any politics and you're political. And I try to say, I'm working to be bipartisan, apolitical, to heal the political divide, which I think we have common cause in doing. And their response is, that is not our mission. So it, it really feels as if there are some churches that just want to avoid the political divide and not mention it as if it's not looming over everything in American culture. But there are some churches who are receptive and who see that division in their own congregations and want to offer a path to healing for those people. 
I'm very intrigued that family therapy is kind of at the base of all of this. It doesn't surprise me at all, but I'm intrigued by it. I'm married to a psychotherapist. In my first marriage, this is my second, we've been married for more than 27 years. In my first marriage, we were having some issues. So we went to see a therapist. And one of the phrases that I learned from her that seems completely appropriate to the Braver Angels work, she said, at a certain point, you have to decide whether it's more important to you to be right or to be together. Talk a little bit about how the organization Braver Angels builds its witness. You mentioned, for instance, April Lawson is the founder of the debate program. Do you do debates here in Wisconsin in person or on Zoom, or is this only a national thing? The national debates have grown hugely and unexpectedly because of the pandemic and the pivot to Zoom that everybody made. Before the pandemic, Braver Angels was hyper-local, focused on the local and never getting away from person-to-person eye contact and conversation in the same room. And that seemed so important as to be essential, right? Definitional to the Braver Angels experience. And then poof, we've got COVID and we've got to redefine what community means in all kinds of different spaces. And so they quickly rewrite workshops with slide decks and Zoom training and put all of the Braver Angels offerings online. And the debates really took off into being large national gatherings with universal participation possible, some with the webinar framing so that a panel gets to speak and most people are just watching and maybe communicating by text with a moderator who might feed a couple of questions into the panel at intervals. But the national debates have become huge and popular and really elevated Braver Angels name recognition in the society at large. And my favorite thing about them is that they practice seeking truth, not victory, which goes back to your idea of how important is it to be right. Everybody is coming to a Braver Angels debate expecting to learn more about themselves and about the other side. Everybody's coming with curiosity and courage. They're saying only what they believe. They're not saying things to score points and bash the other side. And they're responding to questions through a third-party chair so that the direct heat of an accusatory question gets dissipated by having to be formally stated to whoever's chairing the debate. I've been very impressed and encouraged with the popularity of the national debates. And to answer your question, I have chaired some debates in Wisconsin in the context of Carthage College campus, the student and faculty here in a room, in person, very different from the large national Zoom events, but same principle of seeking truth, not victory. What are some of the ground rules for any of these presentations? I'm part of men's groups for more than 30 years now. And one of our rules is I statements. I feel this as opposed to, you know, it pisses you off when, no, it pisses me off. And having some ground rules like that make a tremendous difference in the tenor of what you end up doing. We also have in men's group, one of our things is we don't give advice. 
We expect questioning, clarification, input, but we do not give advice. Wow, changes the world. What kind of rules are there at the base for braver angels? It's interesting. The I statement language is second nature to the college student generation now. And they don't need that instruction the way people of our generation do. So my the first time I ran a Braver Angels workshop at Carthage College, it was a skills for bridging the divide workshop where you get people to say whether they're red or blue so that you pair them up with the same color people for practice imagining that they're talking across the color divide, but practicing with someone of their same color, right? One of the things that you practice formally in that workshop is I statements. And the college kids were so like, really? We've been doing this our whole lives. (laughs) What what do you mean we need instruction in this? And so I realized that that was just going to be a waste of time for them and they would tune out. So we finished, you know, there were other things that they could work on profitably, but we really cut that practice part and we had extra time at the end and they really wanted to use the skills that they'd just practiced in pairing red and blue conversation partners. And so we got general agreement, allowed people who weren't comfortable with that to leave. And then we had the across the divide engagement that they'd been practicing for in the earlier workshop because we had saved time on the I statements. What are some of the other basic principles that you use or guidelines about how you communicate? There's a lot of focus on listening reminders that listening is an active verb. It is not just waiting with your mouth shut until you hear a pause and then pouncing and saying your piece. Listening involves nonverbal cues. It involves affirmation. It involves clarifying questions. It involves some paraphrase. It involves letting the person know that not only have you been quiet, but you've absorbed their message and you can give them enough clues for them to say, yes, I got it. That getting the nod from the person you're listening to about, yes, you really did understand me. That is one of the goals of the workshop. And so stressing listening and then stressing the I statement way of communication that is not accusatory and abrasive. Those are the two basic communication lessons. I realize, of course, Cameron, that we're just scratching the surface here. And there's so much more about you and actually about Susan that I'd love to know, because the way I think change happens is through the particular stories of the people that we meet. I think that's very much in concert with what Braver Angels does. But since we don't have time for that, I'm wondering if you can maybe give me some examples of changes that do happen that Braver Angels has brought about by having people talk. Are there concrete indications that this is not just only having a group feel good about itself, but that it changes the world? I'm not in possession of all the national metrics. I don't know what they're looking for, what they're measuring, what they would consider success besides growth of the membership and recognition of the depolarization work as important. And that is certainly happening. I do know that some Braver Angels alliances have achieved some red-blue partnerships on particular local legislation. 
and gone to their legislators and proposed this bipartisan agreement as a kind of head start. In that way, that's the grassroots working up, right? And they offer it to their elected leaders as not only a head start, but also a cover that you didn't have to bear the slings and arrows of the accusatory public for meeting for dinner or coffee or meetings with the enemy. But we have done some of this work for you, and maybe it can move the city, the county, the state, the country out of gridlock if you use this example of possible bipartisan agreement. That is a concrete and measurable effect of a Braver Angels Alliance working upwards from the grassroots. And do you have examples also, Cameron, of people who've been in your workshops and you saw the light go on, the change happen? Have you seen that on a personal basis? Yes. I've had people thank me at the end of workshops and say, I haven't spoken to relative X in years and I now feel as if I can. That's a victory on the level that I'm working. Well, again, there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm afraid, Cameron, that we have to go on to other things. I do hope maybe to have you back soon. Folks, there is a website, braverangels.org, and on that site you can find for your state and your locality the state coordinators, the other resources. Some resources nationally will be good enough for you, but I think it would be very good to sit down with people like Cameron Swallow and Susan Vergerant and have them come and do workshop by you. And maybe they'd host a debate or there's many other forms of the reconciliation and the insight, the personal growth, the community building work that is done by Braver Angels. Again, Susan had to run off a little bit earlier, but Cameron, I'm so glad that we had this time today and that you've been willing to put your life to this work of building our national unity, helping us find the heart at the center of our nation. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for having me, Mark. And again, we'll have the link to braverangels.org on northernspiritradio.org. Look forward to seeing you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh